Hey, if you are listening to this episode on release day or the day after, make sure to head to our Instagram right now. We are doing a giveaway for a $1,500 human scale ergonomic office chair. All you have to do is go to our Instagram and the rules are on a recent post there. It's super easy and super quick. You just like the post, tag a friend, and leave a five-star review in Apple Podcast, and you're entered. This chair has changed my workflow and my life when working on the podcast and schoolwork, and it can change one of yours as well. Make sure to enter, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Laverty, co-founder of Vide, ready to drink vodka and tequila sodas without the unwanted sugar and carbs. As the episode begins, I want to mention that there are some audio difficulties due to Wi-Fi disruptions. Other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Laverty of Vide. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, dude. Great to, great to chat. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh Great question. I uh, I grew up in Long Island, New York. I was about probably about a half hour from New York City. Um, pretty small suburban uh, neighborhood. Um, I would say a lot of you know working families that lit you know that worked in New York City. Um, you know, pretty nice upbringing. I had three older sisters, so. Um, that was a little problematic as, as a child, as I'm sure you can imagine, I was tormented and and tortured for most of my childhood, but, uh, nonetheless, I, I'm very thankful that I had, you know, a great family, a very supportive family, um, really loved where, where I grew up. And I always kind of had dreams of living in the same neighborhood as I had gotten older, um, in my adult life. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that pans out. Yes. I still love it. Awesome. (laughs) Would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset growing up, say, uh, lemonade stands or Sony products? Uh, those were definitely in my repertoire. Uh, <laughs> I would say the the entrepreneur in me started mostly. We were, you know, lucky, I guess, or unlucky in the Northeast that we got some pretty good snowstorms, um, actually. And me and my friends, we were always like the ones that were waking up on snow days when everyone else was sleeping in and playing video games and stuff. And we, we just wanted to get out there with our shovels and, you know, shovel all the driveways. So um, that was kind of like, honestly, where, where it started. Mm. Um, and it's really funny. And this is kind of ironic now. Um, but when I was probably a senior in high school or actually a junior in high school, um, obviously I was, you know, maybe drinking against my parents' recommendations. Of course, they had, they had no idea at the time. Um, yeah. And this is kind of like, uh, I'm not digressing because this will come full circle eventually. Um, but my friends back when we were younger, you know, like shotgunning beers was like the cool thing to do, you know, when you were like a junior or senior in high school. Yeah. Um, and one day, one of my buddies was, was shotgunning and he pushed his thumb through the hole of a metal beer can that he poked with a knife and he ended up like slicing his finger. And I was like, other than the fact that I was like mortified because there was blood squirting everywhere, something like clicked off in my head. And I was like, wait a second, why the hell are people punching beer cans with knives? Yeah. Um, So I actually like went back to my house that night and I started drawing these concepts of what would later be 
a keychain that I actually patented. Um, I had one of my friends who was an engineer kind of mock up this, you know, plastic keychain where one end of it would poke the beer can and the other end of it was kind of this rounded, um, kind of this like rounded tube side where it would make like a perfect, call it one inch diameter hole mm -hmm. where you could drink the beer and like all the shards of the aluminum can would be pushed into the can. Mm. So you couldn't cut yourself or couldn't cut your mouth. Um, obviously I was only like 16 or 17 at the time. So people thought I was crazy, but, uh, that was really where, like, I, I first started to, you know, understand the concepts of, you know, starting a brand, getting a patent, launching a company. I ended up like selling them online and stuff. So it was wow. a pretty cool little project to, um, embark on as I was, you know, a pretty young kid. So I'm thankful for that, for that experience. Yeah. That's a huge experience at such a young age. Um, so how did they perform then, uh, sales-wise? Were you mainly e-commerce, and what did that look like? Yeah, I was. I was mainly e-commerce. Um, I honestly did like pretty decent. I would say enough where I, you know, ended up making the money back that I had invested. I I was lucky that I was like a caddy at a golf course when I was younger, so I had some savings to put into it. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, I ended up kind of like going to college and you know focusing more on you know, academics and whatnot. So it kind of just dissipated, but, um, it's almost like a novelty thing that I, you know, I have like the patent hung up in my room. That's cool. I always kind of think back to those days of, of how cool that was. That's awesome. So moving on to your college years, you went to Penn state in 2012. Uh, what did you study there? Yeah, I was a, uh, marketing mm -hmm. major with a finance minor. Um, I grew up in a, a family where my father, you know, he had worked in finance. He was a Wall Street guy. I always found, you know, investing in the stock market super interesting. But there was another part of me that was so, you know, intrigued in uh, branding and uh, launching companies and stuff. So I really wanted to get some, you know, marketing experience because I knew that a lot of the finance stuff I was learning, I would either you know, really learn in the workplace or, you know, even learn from, from my dad. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really good opportunity to, for me to, you know, pursue um, both of those um, academic, you know, paths, um, but still get experience of kind of like the marketing side of the business, which, which, you know, now I look back was, was so valuable. For sure. With your time at Penn State, were you involved with any athletics or clubs? Um, I was on the Penn State drinking team. <laughs> no way. And <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's not a thing, is it? No, 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 no okay. <laughs> um, but we certainly did a lot of that. Um, but we studied hard. I wasn't on any, you know, full time, um, you know, sports teams. I did some intramural stuff like, um, you know, basketball and we played golf a lot and whatnot. I grew up golfing, so um, it was fun to to do that in college. But I, I kind of wanted more of the the college experience, I guess you could say, as opposed to like the um, you know the sports experience. So mm -hmm. um, you know, it all worked out for sure. So following your time in college and prior to Vide, uh, what kind of jobs were you working then? So I did end up like joining the finance workforce. Mm -hmm. um, I got a job at a mutual fund company. I was on a municipal bond sales team where I was helping people, you know, build portfolios for, um, you know, whether they're just regular investment 
profiles or maybe retirement accounts and whatnot. Um, so I did that for about a year and a half. And then I had worked my way up to um, the actual investment team where I was on uh, and in the equity research department. So I was uh, responsible for working for a portfolio management team that specialized in the U.S. financial sector. So mm-hmm. I was kind of digging around and analyzing um, the U.S. banks, which is certainly not um, a very exciting channel, I guess you can say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did enjoy the work. It taught me good work ethic. I was I was very um, I was very serious about it, and I, I did like it a lot. I learned. Uh, a lot, which I, you know, is now super useful now, because um, you know, working in finance, you get that experience of like, you know, digging through financials and balance sheets and uh, all of that, and it's kind of, uh, you know, transferred into a great skill set for running a business now. Hundred percent. So when you walked into Vide, were those some of the main roles that you acquired then for your uh, your responsibilities, along with what were your co-founder what was your co-founder doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, like with running a small business and scaling a small business, you kind of figure out what your skill sets are. Yeah. Um, definitely not immediately. Yeah. A lot of what we were doing and my co-founder were doing were kind of the same roles. It, it sounds crazy. We started this business almost, you know, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've really only gotten to a time now where we've understood really where our strengths and our weaknesses lie. Yeah. Um, and I think that's arguably like the most important part of working, you know, with a co-founder, um, especially in a startup is, and I, you know, maybe I wish this, we, we had done this earlier, but really narrowing out like what you're good at, kind of like delegating those responsibilities accordingly. Um, but thankfully now we're in, we're in a good, uh, we're in a good rut now, so uh, I'm happy we've been able to kind of segment those out. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Ryan's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to Drury Hotels. So I had a business trip last weekend, and Drury Hotels was kind enough to host me at their Indianapolis location. The staff, the room, check-in, check-out, everything was seamless. If you guys are traveling in the U.S., I highly recommend to stay at the Drury Hotels with over 150 locations. Make sure to check them out for yourself at DruryHotels.com. That's DruryHotels.com. And enjoy the rest of the episode. So moving on to kind of the story now. In 2019, this is when Vide is created. Um, Being friends in college at the time, what led you and your co-founder, Sal, to enter the alcoholic beverage space? Yeah, great question. Um, So... Take this back to like when we had graduated college, this was 2016. So we'll take like my senior year, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we were pretty much, we were only drinking beer at that time. Hard seltzers weren't a thing at all. Yeah. I can't remember anybody drinking a hard seltzer in college. Um, It really wasn't until like 2017 where we started getting, you know, inklings that this was like a new category when we would go out, we would see people drinking, you know, a lot of the malt beverage products, for example. Um, and naturally we were just kind of curious, you know, we were young, 21, 22 year old kids. It was like the new thing to do. So naturally we just started, you know, getting curious about them. Mm -hmm. Um, and in full transparency, we started drinking them. Um, one thing that struck us as being super interesting to me and to my co-founders 
you know, we were taking a look at these cans and, you know, we had no idea what the hell was in these products. Like it wasn't a vodka based product. It wasn't a beer. Um, it was like a malt beverage and, you know, we're picking apart the ingredients like from fermented cane sugar. And him and I are looking at each other, you know, like we've got 10 heads and we're like, what the hell does this mean? Um, and for us, that was a little like unsettling, you know, it's like as a consumer, it's in your best interest to understand what you're drinking. And we didn't feel like those products really provided that for us. Um, so that was kind of like the impetus for us actually like taking a look into the category and seeing what was out there and ultimately, um, you know, starting by Awesome. So I'm curious then uh, with this problem, you didn't really notice any uh, of the seltzers at the time. What were you trying to solve and provide when formulating the drink? Yes. So for us, like the biggest thing was, you know, we were trying to live like healthier lives. I know we're talking about alcohol here, <laughs> but, um, you know, with some of these products, like there just was no transparency. And what we had learned later found out was there was no quality whatsoever. Like these are very cheaply made, um, you know, hard seltzer products that um, don't contain real spirits. There's not a real vodka in them. There's not a real tequila in them. Um, and there's a bunch of other kind of like nasty chemical additives to either preserve flavor, um, et cetera. And for that, just didn't jive with our, um, our nutritional minded, you know, lifestyle. So um, that was really the big, the big problem for us. Like we just wanted to basically commercialize the aspect of like going to the bar, getting a real, drink a real vodka soda um a real tequila soda and put that in cans and we had later you know found out a reason why that really wasn't the conventional way only because the you know taxes on spirit based products are a bit higher the points of distribution are a little bit lower than you know the comparable malt based products so uh, conventional wisdom would have said not to to put you know real spirit in cans and i can't tell you how many people thought that we were crazy for doing it um so it's kind of funny to look back now and think of all those people who said no it's going to be too expensive you know there's not enough points of distribution but now every you know big company in the world the you know the bacardis the absolutes the you know uh gin products that are out there they're all doing um, spirit-based can products so it's kind of cool to see that unfold. Mm. i'd like to think we're pioneers of the category <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so with launch, uh, what flavors did you first launch with, um, with Vide? So we originally launched with the watermelon vodka soda and the cranberry vodka soda. Mm -hmm. um, while we were working our jobs, um, I was working in finance and Sal was working for um, a family contracting business. But um, kind of like on nights and weekends, we had found, um, well, prior to this, we had found a beverage formulator um, down in the South that, you know, we had went to them, we had said exactly what we were looking for. We wanted a health conscious product that didn't have sugar, didn't have carbs, it was gluten free, it was made with real spirits. Um, and they were the ones that were actually responsible for creating the beverages for us. So on nights and weekends, I think it was like, probably, I think we got shipments on Thursdays. Um, we would have all of our friends over, we would taste test these things that we were getting shipped in. So those were always our, our favorite day of the week was Thursday because we just had all of our friends over mm -hmm. and, you know, we were just kind of hanging out and, and testing the products. But 
we tested quite a few different flavors and the watermelon and the cranberry really were the most well received at the time. Um, and that's how we ended up, you know, launching those two flavors. Mm. So obviously, um, being experienced with drinking through uh, college and high school prior, were you satisfied personally? Uh, like, is this a product that you would drink like with your friends in college, in high school, et cetera, back in the day? Yeah, it's awesome looking back at it because we, we made the product for us. And yeah. that's like the best part about it. Like we were the exact target demo. And I think that's why like not only the, the brand and the product meant so much to us, but it just made sense. Mm. We were going to, you know, parties and pregames all the time, you know, and people would intentionally bring, you know, a handle of Tito's and their favorite club soda and they'd be mixing them together. So it's like me and Sal are looking at each other and we're like, you know, dude, people are doing this already, but there's no convenience to it. It's a pain in the ass to have to go to, you know, the liquor store to get the alcohol, the convenience store to get the the seltzer, the grocery store to get the cups, you know, to mm -hmm. get the limes, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. We were like, there's such a simpler way to do this. And for us, we made it for ourselves. Like we wanted to save time. We wanted something that was more convenient. So um, it's awesome that not only did we create a brand for, um, you know, friends, you know, colleague people that were doing this, but we literally made the product for us. Mm. Amazing. So being in such a competitive market, um, just alcohol in general, what were your main forms of marketing at the time? Um, so when we first started, there was a lot to kind of like navigate in the space only because we were so young at this and we had no beverage experience at all. Um, something that really set us, you know, kind of like got us going in New York, if you will, was we would do samplings at liquor stores literally every single night of the week. Mm. Um, that was like our, our main kind of like marketing point when we had just gotten going. Cause this was at a time where, you know, we had very little invested in the brand. We couldn't be putting out thousands of dollars of social media advertisements and whatnot. We didn't have the money to, you know, at scale, hire people to um, help us sample the products in the liquor store. So our job for the first year is not only like opening new accounts like bars and liquor stores, but also sampling the products to people who were coming into liquor stores and who were going into bars. Um, and we would just organically, you know, tell them about the brand and uh, the qualities of the beverage and that, you know, we were New York guys, et cetera. So it was a good like grassroots way um, to really start the company. And it, it gave us a lot of experience and insight into how this, uh, how this industry works. So mm -hmm. that was super awesome. For sure. Being primarily D2C, uh, I'm curious, what does the logistics look like when shipping product to your customer? being an alcoholic beverage. So personally, like I, my friends and everyone else, I see they purchase in retail, um, shipping a product, especially like with underage, like chances, what does that look like? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I just want to make one small correction. Our business is, is not primarily D2C. We do have a D2C component on our website that serves as more of like a convenience factor, mostly for people that, you know, reside in states where um, we don't yet have distribution. Got it, got it. Uh, we do have a lot of, you know, really good press that goes out. We do a lot of social media advertising. So people do want to try the press, but we just don't necessarily have the capabilities uh, for distribution yet. 
actually in those. So kind of like an added bonus for us to actually reach the I would say on an overall basis that the DDC component probably makes up somewhere between 7 and 7% of oh, okay. our overall sales. Got it. But um, logistically, this this side of the business is is definitely um, evolving. We've got a great film partner that helps us, um, you know, compliantly ship our alcohol to, um, into different states. Basically, since it is an alcoholic beverage, there is a you know, required signature um, where you have to verify that you're over 21 to accept the package. So we kind of mitigate a lot of those risks there. Mm-hmm. Got it. Makes sense. So looking at Vide today then, uh, what would you say separates Vide from your competitors? Uh, I think there's a couple of things. One one being like the cost factor. Um, as I mentioned a few times before, I think there's a, a broader shift towards people that are looking for um, more nutritionally minded products. And this, you know, transpires way behind, way past alcohol i should say this is you know food and just consumer products in general um so i think having us having that angle is super important because it's a very specific group of people that we're um you know marketing to Mm -hmm. um i would love to say that we're a product for for everyone but there's always going to be people that you know really want those you know heavily flavored beverages the ones that are super sweet um but realistically that's just not who we are what we pride ourselves on the most is um, you know, having a health conscious mindset where it kind of takes away a little bit of that, that guilt um, of drinking. I think the other thing that's really interesting about our products in general is, is the actual liquid. Um, Vide is very subtle from a flavor perspective. It's super refreshing and it's a crisp taste and it's lightly carbonated. So it's a highly drinkable product. A lot of the other, you know, canned products are either very highly carbonated it's a very artificial flavor. Um, you can only really drink a couple of them. Mm-hmm. With Vida, it's kind of the complete opposite. And then finally, from you know, uh, just like an ethos standpoint, which I'm super proud of because I was I was always um, taught as as a kid to, you know, respect the environment, clean up after yourselves, don't litter, etc. Um, we made a really important push this past year um, to partner up with an awesome nonprofit. It's called Climate Neutral where we've actually offset our entire carbon footprint, which is not an easy feat, oh, no. especially for a young company like ours. Um, yeah, it's great. We spent months working with um, with Climate Neutral to measure every single action that our company has taken, whether it's shipping an influencer box across the country or whether it's um, you know selling on getting on an airplane, offsetting all of our employee travel, I'm really proud of that. I know that's you know unique in the beverage space. I don't want to say it's really a selling point for us because I think brands just in general should be doing this. Mm-hmm. I would love to see more brands you know get a climate neutral certification. So we almost want to act as you know a resource for other brands, people that are looking to um, be a bit more environmentally conscious, and um, you know we're we're always willing to to help people kind of strive towards that. So. Um, those are all the things that I'm I'm really proud about with Biden. I know that kind of stands out um, against a lot of the other competitors. That's huge. That's amazing. Um, looking at Vide today, um, what would you say overall is your top seller? If you have an idea, 
the water box has always been the most well received. Um, we just came out with a couple new vodka flavors. I think the peach is gaining in popularity a lot. Um, what was really important to us and what we always kind of set out to do was diversify the product line a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had just launched a grapefruit tequila soda, which has been absolutely electric in the market. Our consumers have been getting, um, giving us tremendous feedback from this. Um, I'm really proud of that product. We spent a long time, um, you know, working on the kinks and the formula for that. Um, so I would say right now it's, it's either the grapefruit tequila soda or the, the watermelon vodka soda. Mm. You guys have a pineapple coming out here soon, right? I saw that on the website. We do. Awesome. Yeah, we do. We've we've got a couple tricks up our sleeve. Um, We've got uh, a couple new products that are going to be surprisingly hitting the market soon. So uh, definitely be on the lookout. Amazing. So I like to conclude each episode with this. (laughs) If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, something you've learned or regret, what would that be? That's a great question. Um, I think in terms of building a brand, I think arguably the most important thing, and I think has been a little bit um, of a painstaking process for us, is making sure that before the product goes out, before the brand gets started, that there's a real brand, a tangible brand, a story, um, an all-inclusive kind of umbrella that reflects who you are as a company. What Vide and what we struggled with for a long time was um, we kind of came out with our products. We came out with the design of the cans and we thought that that was the brand. And it took me up until this year to understand really what a brand is and how to build a brand. Mm And it hasn't been an easy process, especially when you're an established company, you have designs for packaging, you have, uh, you know, advertising materials. It was always kind of this like evolving thing for us. Mm. Um, If I was to start another company again, I would make an investment at the earliest point possible to make sure that you have a fully encompassing brand with, um, you know, proper graphic illustrations and patterns and colors and stories and bite words. Um, I think that would have saved us a lot of time and probably money. But um, the other side of it is, is it's been cool to kind of watch the brand evolve from literally nothing into this living, breathing um, organism. For sure. So um, that would be the advice that, that I would give somebody. Amazing. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, Make sure to check out Vide at drinkvide.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.